So, hey, everybody, we are going to be at VanCaf. All of the trade waiters will be there. What? You mean you can meet every single trade waiter? You, you get can... to see our faces in the flesh? What? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's almost too much trade waiting to bear. <laughs> well, you won't have much longer to wait because VanCaf is soon. Uh, does anyone, <laughs> everyone want to say what, uh, what books you'll have for VanCaf? Hell yeah. I'm Kate Ross, and I'm going to have a whole bunch of new minis. I'm going to have a short queer romance comic called Work Nemesis. I'm going to have an illustration zine with werewolves in it. I'm going to have um, my autobio comic, I Don't Want to Talk About My Feelings, in print. And I'm also going to have a central guide to Canadian roadside attractions, where I rate Canadian roadside attractions on how dateable they are. <laughs> so come get that from me. <laughs> nice. I'm Jeff Ellis, and I'll be at the Cloudscape table. Uh, I will primarily be offering Swan Song, the new music anthology that we just launched. And I also will have copies of my Women of Glow coloring book and my Tales from the Cruise travel comic. Um, so yeah, come on by, pick those up. I'm Jam. I'm listed in your program as Jam. And in addition to all the great wasted talent books and prints that I've had at VanCaf last year, this year I'm part of two new anthologies, the Swan Song Anthology and Beyond 2. And uh, I will also be bringing two new minis, one which is called It's Okay to Sploot, which is about technology and anxiety, and one which is just called The Moss Zine, and it's all about moss, and it's excessive, and there's not a lot of them, but it's really beautiful, and I'm proud of it. My name's Jess Pollard, and I'm going to have prints of my webcomics, so Liquid Shell Chapter 1, 2, and 3 in color this time, as well as a new 20-page comic called Metanoia, which features the use of film transitions in a comic, as well as um, prints of paintings that I made recently. And I'm also in the Swan Song music anthology. Come say hi. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. I'm also in Swan Song. Swan Song is my only new book that I'll have, but I do have copies, or I will have copies of the first chapter of Phobos and Demos. And this is my webcomic, which will be restarting in the next few months. Uh, so if you want uh, a preview of this comic that I've been mentioned a few times here and I'm going to be spending a lot of time drawing soon, then uh, I recommend getting the Phobos and Demos mini. Uh, I will also have uh, my other graphic novels, A Mad Tea Party and Lords of Death and Life. Van Calf! Yay! Speaking of Van Calf, we're probably going to have a a Van Calf episode, which is going to be our episode 50. Yeah. What? Yep. What? We, what? Can you I believe? We only did like four of these. <laughs> Can you <laughs> believe we we've been in this re- little room for 50 hours? Jesus. Wow. I don't know, more than 50. It's like 100. <laughs> That's like two days. A cool hundo. <laughs> more than two days. Yeah. Of yeah. our lives. <laughs> okay, we're done. Time to <laughs> quit. <laughs> But we just had you just got listeners. <laughs> what will your mom listen to? It's <laughs> true. I don't know what dishes. my mom will listen to. It's the fiftieth. Uh, that's the gold anniversary. So obviously, listeners, bring your gold and give it to us <laughs> because making podcasts costs money and earns nothing in return. I will accept solid gold nuggets as a form of payment at Bank. <laughs> I will accept historical artifacts that are made of gold. I believe we have uh, a coffee set up on our uh, Tumblr, so 
I don't know how to link to that. You gotta send me a link so I can put a link on our page. Oh, I thought I thought that was set up by me. No, no, but not. I don't know. It's not. Okay. All right, never mind then. We're working on that. <laughs> the I coffee will exists, real but coffee. I can't find it. <laughs> okay. It doesn't even need to be cold. <laughs> <laughs> you could literally just bring us coffee. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. Moving on. Just so you know, this episode, we're going to be talking about a couple of books that have a lot of violence uh, and some self-harm. So if, uh, obviously you can't see any of that because you're listening to a podcast, but if you don't want to hear about it, uh, pick another episode. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. Today's episode is going to be Battle Angel Alita by Yukito Kishiro. Um, and I guess we should do a character-revealing question right off character the bat. Character-building question. <laughs> now I'm just going to be confused about which one it actually is. I'm going to say it wrong. Every every, every precedent we try to establish, <laughs> Kay is just going to undo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> That's her role. <laughs> um, okay, so my character-revealing question is going to be, if we had the level of... Uh, robotics technology that uh, you will find in this book. What would be the best thing of that for you personally? Like, would there be a per- an advantage to you personally if we had the kind of robotics technology? I like the idea of being able to save up for upgrades. <laughs> of just like, you know, like I, I, I'd like some new arms. These arms look nice. I'd like to upgrade my arms. And it's like, oh, yeah, come in the back of this truck and we'll uh, chop off your arms and put on some better arms. <laughs> I like that idea. I like the salt. That's a kind of self-improvement that I can get behind. I mean, and who are you? Work. Did you say your name? Nope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jam. I need new arms. Uh, all right. I'm I'm Jeff Ellis. And uh, I mean, I think currently I'm I'm doing doing pretty well physically. Uh, knock wood. But, and I just mean like health wise, like, you know, I don't have like any arthritis or like injuries or anything, but I, I definitely would say now that I'm getting closer to 40, uh, I do think a little bit about like how much longer I'll be able to say snowboard or even like, I mean, I see a lot of old guys on bikes, but like, I know I'm going to be slowing down a little bit as I get older. Um, and every once in a while I get sore knees. And so I do think like, yeah, I would, I would definitely like. When it, when it came to it, like, when it was needed, I could see myself, like, replacing my legs with, like, robotic legs so I could keep cycling or, like, getting, like, robotic hands so I could just keep drawing comics, you know? Um, <laughs> comics tell the gray. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, I, I, I would... I think it would be more of, like, a... Maybe un, until the original part wears out, essentially, would be the approach. But, like, I, you know, if it was available and I could afford it, I would definitely... Uh, want to just be able to keep being physically active um, and so that I, I can see myself like getting into some robotic limbs for that reason alright I'm Kay Gross and I guess we're just gonna like air all of our all that ails us <laughs> what's up I'm perfect no robots for for okay over here <laughs> um yeah I don't know 
I don't know. I, I like the idea of, like, heightening senses, maybe, through, like, prosthe- prosthetics. Like, man. Okay, I was going to be like, I would love to not wear glasses, but I guess laser eye surgery exists. <laughs> Plus, like, <laughs> if we're talking about, like, um, mechanical, like, things to uh, improve your senses, that's what glasses are. Yes, it's true. Um, <laughs> we're all cyborgs already. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like, yeah, I do like the robot thing on my face for, for my eyes, but I won't get laser eye surgery because I'm scared of it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to jump real high. <laughs> okay, I'm Jonathan, and I didn't actually think too hard about this question before I asked it of all of you, but uh, I think I would second everything that you all, you all have said. Uh, I'm old. Uh, I, at some point, it would be good to have upgrades. But uh, also, I think it would be handy if it ever comes to it to be able to put my brain into a microchip because brains don't last forever either. Hmm. Yeah, you know, this uh, reading reading this book actually just reminded me of watching Altered Carbon on Netflix, where I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, it's it's this futuristic world where everyone's brain is on a little microchip in the stem of their neck, and so like if your body gets damaged, you just need to eject your chip and then insert that into another body, and as long as you don't get shot in the back of the neck, you can live forever. Yeah. Honestly, just let me die. Consciousness <laughs> does not need to be around forever, and neither does anyone else's. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I I think well that that's sort of something they talk about in the show. Yeah, it, it, they go into it, but I was going to say like I I came away with the same kind of impression because mm. like altered carbon treats death very casually mm. because of this, and they call it uh, what do they call it like bio damage or something. They're like, oh, there was excessive uh, bio damage done when you just like lay waste to like hundreds of people because no one actually dies, quote unquote, if you could just clone their body and put them in someone else. And I feel like Battle Angel Alita had the same kind of casualness to it Mm, where it's like, oh, you know, it's got his arm chopped off, but no, no big deal. Whatever. Just put a new arm on. New arms. Got it. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, All right. So let me talk a little bit about uh, Ikido Kishiro. Uh, I couldn't find very much information about him. Uh, His... Wikipedia article is pretty sparse, but uh, he started his first published comic was when he was 17, wow. which is like that was shocking. Uh, in a weekly Shonen Sunday with a comic called Space Oddity that was in 1984. Uh, he's done a bunch of other comics which I'm pretty sure have not been translated into English, so I've never read them. The only other one of his that I've heard is called Aqua Knight, which I have not read, but I know that it exists. It was the one he did after. Battle Angel Alita. Uh, And then there are two sequels uh, as well. There's Battle Angel Alita Last Order and Mars Chronicle, which is, I think, maybe still going? Or at least is more recent. A reader was telling me that they were still putting out Battle Angel Alita books. Hmm. I think this was his most popular work, and so he sort of came back to it. He said, all right, I'll do more Battle Angel Alita. (laughs) The the Dragon Ball phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Battle Angel Alita is about a a cyborg who there's a scientist who finds her like cyborg head in a junk pile and gives her a body. She has no memory of her past before that point, uh, except that she has this desire to fight. Fighting is what she's good at. 
She has this sort of innate ability to like defeat enemies in in physical combat, and so that's what she wants. Decides she wants to do. Uh, she lives in a dystopian world called the Scrapyard, which is below a floating city, uh, which we never get to visit in these volumes, at least. And so everything is terrible, and life is cheap. Uh, in part because you can get robot bodies to like fix yourself, but also just because it's not a very nice place to live. Uh, she becomes a bounty hunter, working for the uh, the people that run the the scrapyard to like kill the worst criminals and uh, return their heads. And then, uh, in the first volume, she has to defeat this uh, terrible guy. What is his name? Makaku. Oh. Yeah, yeah Makaku. Like yeah, Makaku, who is, uh, we can talk about him later, but he's the worst. The worst, yeah. And so she, like, defeats this guy who no one else can defeat and, like, saves a baby and a dog. Uh, and uh, in the second volume, there is a boy named Hugo that uh, she falls in love with. And he is um, stealing people's He's spines. also the worst. <laughs> yeah, he's not, not great. <laughs> But, uh, so, like, he gets his sort of comeuppance when, like, people try to arrest him, and then uh, she's a bounty hunter, so this puts her in a tough situation. Uh, He's trying to get to uh, the floating city. That's his whole deal. He wants to move to the floating city. And it turns out he can't get there, because that's impossible. Oh, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, I read this book, uh, like... I think first year university or like the end of high school it was the first manga I ever read uh, this was at a time when uh, you couldn't even get like the the Tankubon um, volumes yet they were all oh. released as like floppies floppies like monthly issues which is like a terrible way to read manga but it was so different from anything else I was reading at the time that I kind of became obsessed with it and I it was also the first manga I read the end of hmm. uh, I haven't read the middle uh, but I've read the first few volumes and the last few volumes. And the ending's really good, if you ever can get that far. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I, I think, like, it affected me as a cartoonist a lot at the time. I'm not sure I am as big a fan now as I was then. Uh, but I want to know what the rest of you think after I made you read this book. Yeah, uh, I will jump in just because I'm such a similar story, so we can get it out of the way pretty quickly, and then I'm really interested to hear your voices <laughs> and your impressions of this work. Uh, but similar to John, I read this in high school, and it was one of the first comics that, first manga that I read. I, I kind of was on a manga tear, and I think, I, I have no idea how it came into my hands, but I was probably in a comic book store, looked at the cover, said, looks like my jam, and like took it home, loved it uh and rereading it now it's like i'm sorry i love this book and i can't help it (laughs) (laughs) i absolutely cannot help how much i still love this book even though i can see as a more mature reader uh that it is a very flawed work but i still had a blast rereading this book um well i'll just also mention that i also have read battle angel when i was in high school i had multiple friends who were buying the floppy issues who were like, you have to read this. It's the greatest thing ever. And 
yeah, I, uh, I actually managed to get a whole collection of it when I was in Japan that was translated into English, and I read a whole big chunk of it. I didn't have the ending, and I just sort of uh, lost lost the plot, basically, and then went on to read other things and never really quite came back to it. But when Jonathan first uh, mentioned this, like I immediately, like you, I thought, oh yeah, I remember that. That was great. And then uh, after reading this, I now had to remind myself that, right, anything I enjoyed <laughs> between the ages of 12 to, mm, I'm going to say 21, I should probably just bury that very far away, really try to make sure no one knows that I enjoyed that, um, and just move forward from 23 into the future. Because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's of its time, though. It is it is a 90s manga I was thinking about this today. I don't know what it is about the 90s, but, like, everyone was so angry. <laughs> like, and it wasn't just manga. Like, it was in superheroes, too. Like, everything was, like, death and beheadings and just violence. Like, every facet of the 90s was just, like, that was just, that was it. That was what everyone was doing. Like, it's, I think it's, like... There was a few people that made comics, and then the people that read those made, like, comics inspired by those comics, and it just kind of got worse and worse until finally someone said, hey, it's the year 2000. Let's stop. Let's change it up. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that assessment. I've been reading some Western comics. I've been reading The Wicked and the Divine, and it's about as bad as this. Like, mm. it's, okay, it's maybe no, it never like, stopped. Maybe the the Megadeth. Like, I, I would put this in a category of Megadeth, right? right. Which I would say came to popularity in the 90s mm, mm. i would say like there definitely was a period of time sorry we will yeah just briefly we will uh there was a period of time where everyone was trying to one-up themselves i think with mm. violence and then they just kind of reached a a point of stasis perhaps and mm. then maybe it rebalanced yeah. but i know what you mean yeah uh, i just want to say that the this is uh Bat battle angel alita was released in business jump which is Whoa. a seinen magazine so basically, not comics for kids. No, it's for mm -hmm. Because it is definitely not for kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. What's up? <laughs> Guess what? I didn't like this comic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do not come at this from nostalgia. Uh, because I was a baby in the 90s. This is aggressively not my thing. <laughs> um, I am a delicate flower, and I tried to read this before bed and then had nightmares. So, <laughs> thank you. Sorry. Um, it is just like, it, it like twigs a bunch of stuff that I just like is very specifically not my thing. I don't like seeing brains. So... <laughs> Oh. That's a thing. Oh, dear. <laughs> super enjoy body horror, so that's a thing. Um, also, it was just, like, super misogynistic. Sorry, guys. Didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I just... Not my thing. I can see, like, why it would have, like, captured you guys at the time. Um, <laughs> I can see, like, why it would have been appealing. It just... Didn't didn't catch me at the right time, um, and yeah. No, I I totally like see where you're coming from right now. Like I from reading it myself, I was thinking like, man, there are some huge problems here. But it's funny because like, and I'd, I'd actually be curious your perspective, uh, Angela, because I like I was looking at this and I thought, man, like if I were to grab all of those sixteen year olds who are reading Battle Angel in high school and be like, what? 
Like, why do you like Alita? Like, what? Tell us about Alita. Like, I'm sure all of them would be like, she's like she's tough and she's empowered and she doesn't take any shit and like she's great. She's like a real strong female character. And now I'm reading it, going like, wow, this is just not a strong female character at all. This is terrible. But like, obviously, at the time, like, I don't know what. Did, what was your takeaway from that? Like, yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that resonated with me at the time was that it was a... Well, see, this is... I I, I understand 100% where you're coming from, Kay, with, like, this is 100% not your jam. It is 100% my jam. <laughs> I love body horror. I love tech. For some reason, despite the problems, I love people just kicking ass and, like, bodies exploding. And I almost never get a chance to read about a woman in those kind of roles. As problematic as they are and as it's not, you know, a rounded portrayal, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot in feminist theory is the fact that there is no perfect portrayal of a woman. There are all sorts of different kinds of women. And what we were suffering from and continue to suffer from is a lack of diversity in portrayal. So there is no, you know one perfect female character there is no way to say like at last we have finally portrayed all of the types of female characters Mm -hmm. that need to be uh but this is a very particular kind of comic that i loved reading as a kid and i never got to see a woman in this role Mm -hmm. and battle alita is definitely like the shonen style overpowered just blase kind of ass-kicking person and i I enjoyed it. (laughs) It was fun. Like, uh, we can talk a little bit more about the sound effects uh, (laughs) later on, but uh, they're they're everywhere, and they're just like... This is one of the few times when I kind of understand uh, a more masculine impulse to run around and go pew, 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 pew. (laughs) That's how this comic makes me feel. (laughs) And you kind of have to approach it on a, I think, a more surface-level interaction with it. Mm where it is 100% a power fantasy and it kind of has the shallowness of a power fantasy but it's a fun fantasy for me. Mm. I I really like the tech angle because I'm such a fan of science fiction. This is a very tech-rooted power Mm -hmm. fantasy where everything is technologically based. There's no magic. It's all like, oh, this part has a problem. Well, rip it off and like put in a replacement and it's that's cool to me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I... I think that uh, reading this, I the one thing I found really, really... Well, two things that I really enjoyed reading this a second time is the art. I just thought, as a draftsman, just as a, as a comic artist, amazing art. Like, the cross-hatching, like, I did screenshots of some of that cross-hatching. It's just beautiful, beautiful manga art. Um, and then the other thing was the world-building. Like, the actual world that everyone existed in was just fascinating and like there would be these little throwaway lines where then there would be a footnote further explaining it but it's still like within world so they're just like they they reference like the panzer kunst like martial arts style and like oh this is a martial arts style for people with cybernetic enhancements commonly practiced like a hundred years ago you're like oh okay like this world is just this huge lived in world with a history and like all the technology yeah like even just like how her plasma blade works and the guy like drops her in the water and like well you can't use your plasma blades underwater and just trying to kind of like (laughs) use science a little bit like it was yeah just the actual world building was phenomenal I like there's some very very huge massive problems in the actual plot structure 
and and characterization but the actual world that they were in I was like man I'd love someone to take this world and then tell another story in it I I love Jonathan to tell a story in that world like with other characters yeah that would Uh, be cool (laughs) I was thinking about like because as I was like halfway through reading this like I, I started out reading this like, yeah, here's this great comic I remember. I want to read this again. And halfway through, I'm like, mm, I don't think Kay's going to like this very much. <laughs> <laughs> but and I was thinking about, like, in that context, because uh, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, defend the, the work or whatever. I'm just trying to sort of understand my, why I like it. Yeah. But I, I think <laughs> I personally, I would enjoy this comic just as much if it didn't have any of the gore and violence and, like, excessive aspects to it and so for for me like I that's something I can just sort of glide through without it sort of tripping me up because the stuff that I really like is I like the the world building and I like the the characters are very like high intensity like high contrast like this Mm -hmm. is I think what I liked about superhero comics and ultimately like like often didn't find in superhero comics is those sort of characters who are like they're emotionally at 11 all the time where everything is the end of the world. Everything is super important. Everything is life and death. Um, Because I think sometimes like as a human being in the world, you can feel that way without it being justified by reality. But whereas in a fictional context, you can sort of make reality justify it. And you sort of get that sort of like those emotional hits from like, objectively ridiculous characters but they make sense in terms of like their internal structure like Makaku for example is like he's a pretty messed up character but by the end of the story like once you hear his backstory about why why he's such an awful person you kind of say oh okay I understand like you're an awful person and you are probably going to get killed here and we're all going to be better off but I know how you got this way and it's like not a realistic character, but it's it's a um, it's like I'm gonna call it a cartoon character, but cartoon in the sense that it's like simplified. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're just describing why this resonated so much with me when I was 16 yeah. years old. Oh yeah. And now that my emotional <laughs> intensity's kind of been dialed down to maybe like eight, <laughs> I'm looking at this going, eh, just uh, I don't know. There's I'm sure that's it. I'm lack sure that's of a big nuance part of it. here. I mean, I think uh, the one thing that I I wanted to sort of touch on is, I mean, the thing that really stood out to me, and the thing that I totally didn't pick up on when I read this as a teenager is. There's like a scene in here where like Alita and um, the the scientist her her Ido. Ido Ido are like lamenting the the evil uh, Makaku and all the people he kills, but then they're like, meanwhile like just gleefully like murdering <laughs> people left right and center. <laughs> like their job is they kill people and cut their heads off and sell the heads for money, and they're like. Man, this Makaku, he just tears your head off for your endorphins. What a jerk. Like, yeah. Everyone is horrible. Everyone is horrible. Like <laughs> I love the introduction to Ito as a bounty hunter, where he's like, oh, Alita can't know. She has to be this pure being, but I just chop people's head off for fun. You know? oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I gotta do it for and fun. Actually, I was gonna say, uh, I'd forgotten about the misdirect in the first like three pages, where they he finds this body, and he's like, I'll, I'm gonna get you the best body parts, and then they have this uh, 
horrible scene with this woman smoking a cigarette and gets her head cut off. And don't, but don't worry, you get a good look at her uh, her body. You still get to sexualize her as her head's coming off. Yeah, that's um, messed up. <laughs> and and then her arms end up being the arms Alita has, and you're like, oh no, Ido's a serial killer who's stealing parts to build Alita's body, and then for no reason, no reason. This is the big reveal where Alita finds out that Ido is this bounty hunter and he's hunting the serial killer and they don't even really explain how it is that the arms of the first victim of the serial killer ended up being Alita's arms, but well, like, for some reason the author wanted us to think Ido was the serial killer and then immediately just backpedaled from that and it became this weird, I don't know, fa- father figure, but not even that kind yeah. of thing. A little strange. I think they did explain that Ido said he found it in the scrap. Yeah. And so it's a pretty big you, coincidence, though. It is a big coincidence, and I, I don't know how much I actually buy it. I think one of the things you have to remember about this type of reveal is that they were serialized mm. weekly, bi weekly, probably mm. weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Weekly right. in like 24 page chunks. Yeah. So, so that... it probably fell like a, a twist within a 24 page chunk just to keep people invested, especially. Uh, as we read in Bakuman, like we have an understanding of how this process works. It's right. really, really important to get your vote numbers up right. early on. Yeah, yeah. So that that yeah. may have been an effect of that publishing yeah. cycle. Fair mm-hmm. enough. And I, you know, I would say, like reading this whole thing, I really felt like I was reading a story drawn by an artist who is passionate about drawing, and was then just like desperately fumbling to like keep the action moving forward, page by page. Like it just seemed total totally random like we're going here and now we're going over here and now this and now this and like it was definitely a roller coaster ride as far as just like action uh but i could definitely see like plot wise it's just like this is an artist like oh i don't know uh i want to draw guns so uh, this is what happens next see i'm I'm gonna disagree (laughs) go go ahead though well i was gonna say like art wise there's so much in this that feels like there's there's definitely like passion behind it and Kind of, you know when, like, kids make up characters and they're just, like, really weird? And it's, like, <laughs> it's like that, but, like, with an adult's drawing ability. Yeah. Um, like, Makaku, I think, takes over this body that has this, like, horrible pig's head on the groin, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. Um, but that was just, like, oh, yes, this is a specific school of character design. <laughs> that is, what did I think was cool when I was a kid? I still think it's cool I'm an adult. Yeah. Um, which is valid. Yeah. Um, uh, I did also like in the art, like like the action is very well done, but like the way that he does action lines. There's this one panel in volume one that like I just had to take a moment and look at, and it's Alita does. She's like dropping and she does a, a, a spin and like kicks someone or like kind of like tucks into a spin as she's dropping to hit someone, and it's just her in this tucked position. And the only indication, like, there's speed lines going down, and then there's this big halo of a circle around her that implies that she's doing this flip, and it's so well done. And I I thought that was great. Like, didn't enjoy this book, but yeah, there's some good art stuff in there. Yeah, it's definitely an action book. The action is what draws me into the book and keeps me going through the book. And it's like it's it's kind of like an action movie in that way, where it's like action movies are a genre that I don't like because mm. I don't like car chases and the mm. noise of guns. But I really, really like 
as I said, shonen action comics. Mm. Uh, it is probably my favorite genre, and these types of illustrations that are just so dynamic and like yeah. the like power positions and moving through space and the martial yeah. arts rendered in two D and flat yeah. comic style. Uh, uh, it's, it's excellent in this book and yeah. so so fun. Oh yeah, like some of the times where she's delivering a punch or a kick, and then they have the sharp jagged. Like almost like the blur, like mm-hmm. the characters moving so fast that yeah. the artist can't even draw it clearly. Like yeah. that's how fast they're moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really effectively done. Yeah, the one that stood out to me is when she got her body of the berserker, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, "Ah, oh, you got a new body. What do you think?" And so she just takes her hand, and there's like complete blank space, and then there's three fists uh, later on in the panel to just kind of indicate her just punching out really quickly as like a test mm. and it's like little subtle things like that I have just yeah, oh, yeah. that's something that drawn. like if you were given the task to draw those events as a cartoonist that's not an easy thing to figure out how mm. am I going to draw that yeah. but to, to have like an actual sense of the amount of time it takes place to do something ordinary like the amount of time is like shortened right and, and like that was like things like that like that's a very effective way to cartoon that okay I, I, I just want to jump back in with the Berserker body, though, and I will say um, I'd forgotten that they, like, conveniently had this body just on hand. So Alita's original body gets destroyed, her, her second, because they find her, she's just a torso. Mm-hmm. They get her a new body, that body gets destroyed, so then they conveniently just had this other body sitting around, but they didn't want to use it because it's a fighter body, but now they've decided, okay, she can be a fighter, and then... The, one of the other scientists is like, well, but it's a man's body. You can't put a lady's head on a man's body. And then oh, he's oh, like, don't, don't worry. worry. It'll transform into a sexy lady's body. Don't <laughs> you worry. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be breasts to look at. Don't worry. Don't robotic run. breasts. There'll be robotic yes. breasts on this fighting body. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just, I, that I laughed out loud. And, <laughs> um, and actually, I thought in a way, like, it was such a missed opportunity and that's where it started making me think what about um, a contemporary artist doing something in this world now because I think in a more contemporary context this idea of a world with cybernetics like you could have a situation where you have a character who gets their body damaged and has to have it installed on the next available body and maybe it's not the gender they're normally using but then it's like well it's just a robot body so this is what you're gonna have to use until you can afford a different one and it's all just cosmetics so yeah that is exploring altered carbon a few different times and yeah and altered carbon does a much better job with that well i don't know i mean not much better but we're not going to talk about explores it more more. they definitely (laughs) do touch on it in altered carbon uh, and I think we are going to see what a modern take on Battle Angel Alita will be because the movie is coming mm-hmm. up soon. But it, oh, really? <laughs> I have notes yeah. on the movie. Yeah, but is it come out? No, I haven't seen no. it. But okay. I have notes on the trailer for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't have high hopes, let's say. No, but, you know. I mean, maybe we'll uh, see. I just want to, like, because this is sort of tangential, uh, in the original, uh, her name isn't Alita. The, her name in the comic is Gally. Um, and the like, if you read the the part where she gets her name from Ido and like trade out Alita for Galley, uh, it seems to me that what's happening is that he had a cat named Gary, and oh. um, he's Japanese, so L and R are the right, same letter. Right. Uh, and then he wants to name uh, Alita after his cat, and then the other guy says, "But your cat's name was Gary." He's like, "Oh, that's fine." 
So basically, Alita's name is Gary. I like that. I kind of like that better, <laughs> actually. Then it wouldn't be a problem if they just put her in that battle body and didn't transform it. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's more to identity than um, that. But. <laughs> oh, and I, I wanted to also say that, um, like, I want to disagree with something Jeff said earlier where it seemed like it's just, like, stream of consciousness. Like, I feel like, compared to a lot of other battle manga, like, there, there are definite arcs to this that mm. I don't always find, where, like, the second volume has, like, a very different arc from the first volume. Mm. And uh, I don't want to, like, spoil future volumes, but... Well, I'm, I don't want to spoil a little bit uh, for, for the third volume. Where, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm the, not going to read it. Okay. <laughs> the, at, at, the, at the end of the second volume, there's been this whole episode where, like, Hugo is a fugitive from justice, and as a bounty hunter, Alita is supposed to be chasing him down and not helping him, uh, or she's going to get in trouble too. Uh, and so after Hugo dies in volume three, like, you pick up with Alita where she has quit being a bounty hunter and is now playing sports. Whoa. That's right. It just takes a left hand yeah. turn, and she's in uh, basically uh, roller. Was it mur- like murder ball or Mur- something? Yeah, like no, that. it's motor ball. <laughs> yeah, right. Mo- but, but, but my like, point is, my point is that this is <laughs> this is a character arc where she her character like she does different things throughout the series because mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense for her to continue being a bounty hunter when this guy that she liked died as a result of like the. Mm-hmm terrible legal system in this place Mm -hmm. that she lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I will also further disagree with what you're saying. Uh, Because, (laughs) like, uh, as as you said, like, compared to a lot of other battle manga, the story hangs together pretty well. Right. (laughs) And, like, the underlying rules of the world hang together more well, and they make Mm. internal sense. Right. You know, like, objective sense? Probably not. But they make internal sense. Right. Uh, and I really liked the way that the the rule the legal system of the world is very clearly in the favor of the corporations. Mm-hmm. They're saying like these are the laws to protect the corporations. They are not here to protect you. And I like yeah. how many times yeah. that mm-hmm. comes back uh-huh. about how this is a fundamentally unjust world. But uh, as you said, like we never get to visit the Cloud City. Oh, oh, oh. we do Maybe at the end of the series. Do. Okay, and I love that part of the book. Okay, but I don't want to tell you what happened. No, because... don't tell so me. That's what made the ending good. Oh yeah, no, okay. the ending was more more sort of on the science fiction end of the spectrum. Oh, fine. Yeah. I think actually, I will I will say that maybe Volume Two felt more plotted out. Uh, I think that there was little things like the the convenient like battle body that was in a closet kind of stuff, where I was like, what like. <laughs> the artist is like, oh, her arms and legs are gone. Uh, oh, she had this other one the whole time. Well, and I think like they were trying to get to that battle body the whole time. Mm, right. So right. it's like the artist, I think one of the things that makes this series work for me mm. is that it is not taking itself very seriously. Yeah, right. That's it fair. is like, it's a battle manga. Mm. It's like you wanted to draw sexy lady in a battle manga context. Mm. Mission accomplished. Right. And like anyone who comes to this book, they're like, battle manga and a sexy woman body making it happen like cool as advertised right you know like there's no discrepancy there between Mm -hmm. expectation and experience yeah so i feel like it's it's very easy to access in that way for me fair enough that's true i mean i think one of the things we talked about when we were doing uh last man yeah was the disconnect between expectations and results right where we went in expecting one thing and got something different Whereas this time, with this book, I don't think you were getting anything unexpected. Oh, yeah, no, no. I, like, 
I sort of like picked it up in the bookstore and like flipped through it and I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm in for. Don't think I'm gonna like it. It's fine. Uh, that's why we do this book club. It's so that I can read things I wouldn't normally read. Yeah, I don't know. Just like, yeah, it was just such a turnoff for me. Like a lot of the, just like the the way the men in the comic treat. Alita and um, like there's what is it Makaku is like hunting down Alita and wants to kill and torture her in like this fetishistic way yeah, but also and marry her also yeah really and people <laughs> keep like mentioning ah he's in love with her <laughs> which is gross um, and I don't know if anyone else felt this at all but I don't know how the name was Alita was chosen and I'm in- interested to know that that wasn't like her original name in the original version of this because it definitely had like Lolita connotations oh. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially there's like a specific panel um, in the first volume where someone's like, who the hell are you? And she turns and Alita is separated into three different speech balloons where she goes, ah, Lita. And like, um, I've never read all of Lolita because it's not something I really want to read all of, but one of the like opening lines is about how the name Lolita is like a trip of the tongue making a no, it's like the tip of the tongue making a trip across the palate, and it's like Lolita, and like sounds out the name like that, so that, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but mm. I definitely got that connotation. That's not what it. I got. Okay. So I if, got it as like the Japanese style of like slowing down the syllables of your name. Mm-hmm. So I see this come up a lot in, in mm. anime as well. It's like it's, no matter what the name is, they'll break it up that way, and that's what I took. Not to say that that's an incorrect interpretation. Um, no, that's, like, very interesting for me yeah. um, to know, because, yeah, that was just how, like, I came at it. So it's good to know that that was probably not the intention. Um, uh, what I do know about the name is that uh, the name comes from a very old Russian science fiction movie about a princess on Mars or something like that. Uh, so I, I believe that's the connection. Okay. And I don't think the name Alita shows up at all in the original Japanese. Weird. She's just Gally all yeah. the way through. I, and then I the name really of the book is Gunam, <laughs> which is like gun dream, apparently. Mm. Uh, I don't know Japanese, but... So her name is not in the title, and her name in the story is Gally all mm. the way through. Interesting. Mm. It's so funny, because this is probably, as you said, it's like one of the first manga you ever read. It was one of the first manga brought over. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the things that they do now uh, in translation and in the handling of the work were very different in the 90s. Like, there was a lot of, quote-unquote, westernization, I think, mm-hmm. being done. Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting because I only bought the first book, and I basically carried it with me all throughout high school and, like... It's been in my apartment for years and years and years, uh, and so I had to buy book two for Trade Waiters, and I bought it on Comixology, and it was a different translation. It was flipped, which, I mean, now I appreciate work that's flipped, but all of the sound effects were left intact. Mm. So mm. they were left intact Japanese and then translated in bulk in the footnotes in the back, which oh. was kind of surreal to read. <laughs> but the... having the two side by side, I think I prefer the embedded translation of the sound effects hmm. because they're so core to the experience of this work. Mm-hmm. And you have to read them quickly. You don't want to like yeah. stop and flip back and then say, what was that sound? Yeah, you, and I, I prefer disruptive. it I prefer it to, even though it's more disruptive to the, the core artwork and the way that the sound effects are drawn in Japanese is really, really beautiful. 
Uh, the alternative that I've seen before is that they will keep the Japanese version and then have like a very, very tiny translation oh, yeah. text of VFX, yeah. like, shoo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't like that either. Mm. Yeah, I definitely prefer that to the footnotes in the back. I yeah. feel like that's a weird choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, personally, I like it when the sound effects get translated because it is it is integral to how you like interpret the work. And if I'm not getting the sound effects, I'm missing... I'm missing information. I'm missing the affect of the work and what the artist was intending. And, you know, in theory, you'd want whoever's putting in the sound effects to, like, be picking up on whatever the original sound effects were and trying to convey mm. that through the art. Um, but yeah, as we know, I'm, they're on schedules that don't allow that. They're on tight <laughs> schedules, because we know someone who does that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm kind of the daywalker here, because I actually can read hiragana and katakana. So for me, I was just reading the sound effects mm. and being like, oh yeah, that... Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm there. And then I noticed they had this giant, like, wasted, like, five pages in the back with all the sound effects written out phonetically, which they Laputa did that, too, when we did... Mm. Um, or was it not Laputa? Nauska. Um, Nauska. When you did uh, Nauska, Nauska, the edition I had, had the same thing. They had the original sound effects with just a giant translation list in the back. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the Japanese have a very specific lexicon of onomatopoeia that is very different from our onomatopoeia. And it almost like sometimes almost needs its own translation. Like once you translate it phonetically, you're like, but that seems weird in English. So maybe we still need to make it a sound that would make sense to like a westerner like mm. it's like in japanese like a cat says nyan right that's the phonetic sound is nyan which we if you wrote nyan coming out of a cat's mouth in a manga like a western reader would be like shouldn't that be meow i'm confused right like, well i mean that, that's that's the art of translation is yeah. finding ways to um you know <laughs> convey the original intention in right. a new language new connotations right. like yeah. yeah yeah but yeah i mean the the sound effects were beautiful so if they were to be westernized i would want them to be westernized in the same stylistic way that they were, and were I drawn think, i think they were do we have um, the, yeah, the original yeah. so, english one yeah i i don't know i didn't notice the the sound effects as being particularly beautiful in the english version they're so fine. they're fine they're, 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 there they're was an attempt like they they do their job yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, okay. Also, uh, I was just going to point out, which I'm actually, I just answered my own question by looking at the back of your book here, John. Uh, but in the updated version, the very last 24 pages that resolves what happens to Makaku is the beginning of volume two. Yeah. Oh, weird. And the, basically, the end of volume two seems like the last 24 pages of what happens to Yugo are not there, oh. which means that I guess they want me to buy volume three oh. to find out what happens to Yugo. That completely undermines <laughs> everything I just said about each volume having a, an arc. Yeah, no, I... I, well, I they, they do have an arc, but whoever's publishing it now is forcing you to be on a cliffhanger yeah, ending. Oh, no, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, that's <laughs> not good. I, I, I prefer... Yeah, I thought volume one had, as you said, John, a very concrete arc, and it was very nice, and it was a weird experience for me to switch over to digital and then have the first one repeated oh. in a different translation. Yeah. So I was like experiencing well, it differently with different nuances, no, which is also I, weird. I understand why the publisher, like I understand intellectually why the publisher is doing this, but I want to tell that publisher this is a terrible thing. 
because basically you read the first volume and it just ends on like this weird unresolved ending uh, just so that you can then force people to buy the next volume like there was a perfect arc it just needed to end with her killing Makaku and the story ends then you start fresh with Yugo in the start of volume 2 and yet they I don't know they're worried people aren't going to buy volume 2 so they're just like overlapping them and yeah. I just think that's a terrible way it to is. present the manga mm-hmm. don't like it can I just tell you why I don't think I'm going to like the movie yes oh yes let's talk about telling okay now um, context unseen movie book club. yeah <laughs> context I have not seen the movie <laughs> we haven't seen the movie it's, it's not, not out, out yet, yet uh, but here are our opinions <laughs> <laughs> that's right I don't normally do this but I have opinions so Based on the trailer, I don't think I'm going to like it. Uh, two things in particular. One, the main character, and you don't find this out in the first two volumes, you don't find this out until like volume nine, but Alita's original name before she lost her memory is Yoko, so she is clearly meant to be a Japanese person, hmm. and in the movie she is not played by uh, an Asian actress. Hmm. And... The, the story itself largely takes place in the United States. Again, you can't tell that from the first two volumes. You have to wait until later to find that out. So I would be fine uh, with any other character being whatever ethnicity the casting director decides upon, but it seems important that the main character be who they are intended to be. Uh, and also, I really don't like the CG they did to her face. Uh, it, I'm sure that they did it because... They're trying to make her look like she does in the comic, but mm. the way that artists draw characters in manga with like great big eyes, that's uh, for a specific purpose. The purpose of that is so that you, the reader, can feel empathy for that character, that you can identify with them, you can feel what they're feeling, that kind of thing. Uh, and if you CG someone's face in a movie, you're basically doing the exact opposite of that. You're turning them into an object. You're othering them. They're this weird, uncanny valley-like cartoon character when everyone else is a human being. And things like that where the director or whoever is in charge of making these decisions has done something that is clearly in opposition to the uh, meaning and purpose of the original story leads me to suggest that they are not going to respect any other aspect of the story and that it will not be a good story. Mm. There's a lot of story there, too. I'm curious if the movie's going to only just be the first volume, and then they're hoping to make more movies, or... Well, I think we saw you go in the trailer. Yeah, yes. something I think that it was the first volume. You know I did see the trailer to this, because it was in front of something else I want to go see in the theaters. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, the face looks real creepy. <laughs> yeah. uh, in, uh-huh. terms, in terms of this happening in America, actually, in my notes, I did actually... Uh, right, uh, takes place in the second term of Donald Trump. Uh, so. <laughs> no, it's a little further down <laughs> after he's been in, in office for <laughs> centuries. Um, you know, but it is like there's a map, and I can't remember where the map is. It's in one of the future volumes. There's a map, mm. and it's like the scrapyard is in like Kansas City. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, anyone from Kansas City, you get to be a junkyard in the future. For now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there, I can't say. I mean, they're, they've got a pretty libertarian government uh, working, well, working on that right now. They have to build their sky city first. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone's got to self-actualize uh, and achieve ugh. to make that sky city. Ugh. Okay, any final thoughts? 
I still like this book. I still thought it was fun. I'm sorry. Sometimes it's fun to have like something really violent. <laughs> and if you're in the right space, I think it's okay. <laughs> no, you know, I, uh, it was. It's. It's. If you're wanting an action battle comic, it's good. And like, I was gonna. Like, I was jokingly gonna say this, but I mean, I think it's true. Like, if you're, if you're like 16 years old. Like read this, you're gonna love it. Like don't wait because if you wait till you're like, like 37, you're gonna be like, man, everyone's so mean to each other. What's going on here? I don't like this at all. But read it when you're 16. You're gonna be like, man, that macaco's the worst. I hope they blow up his head. Yes. <laughs> I definitely wish it was more gender progressive, but I can't. Don't read something in the past. Okay. Volume three. Nosedive? <laughs> yeah. Well, not a nosedive, but it doesn't get better from here. <laughs> I'd only read two volumes, or I'd only read one volume for, like, and kind of had that memory preserved in amber, and I was kind of okay with it. <laughs> Skip ahead to volume nine. Okay. Like, eight and nine are great. All right. Will do. I can do that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really recommend this comic necessarily. <laughs> like, I don't know. I always say, like, when, even when I say, like, I don't recommend a comic like I feel like you can get things from every comic like there are definitely things in this work that are worthwhile like I will agree the world building is really interesting if you want to like see some great renderings of action absolutely take a look at this comic it's not for me and I just wouldn't recommend it because it's not for me yeah. And that's fair. <laughs> it's like I the way that I kind of frame this in other comics that I don't like is like if you don't like this genre, it's absolutely not going to change your mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. It's not it's not reimagining the battle manga genre. Nope. <laughs> right. I, I guess I guess I'm okay with not everyone liking this comic. Um, <laughs> like that? No, that's fine. That's so, that's okay. But uh, just don't make a movie adaptation of this if you don't like this comic because then I will hate you forever. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Think, Only make movie adaptations of things that you like. Please. I think that's some shade-headed your way, Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> that's right. Dang. Are we going to do oh, our uh, shout-outs? Shout-outs, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I am Jonathan Dalton, and uh, you can find my work at phobos-comic.com, although it's been a year now with nothing new, so don't bother. Um, I recently, for some reason, I guess I was on a 90s kick, I I read The Infinity Gauntlet by Jim Starlin and George Perez and Ron Lim. And I would say if you're really, really curious about what this new Marvel movie is going to be about, and if you like weird space comics, maybe read this. If that is not something you're going to like, don't bother. Because um, it's definitely a very specific, very, very 90s thing. Weird space comic. So Oops. Infinity Gauntlet is a comic you could read. All right. Cool. Uh, I'm Jam. I'm also not going to cite a URL. Speaking of deep cut throwbacks to your childhood nerdiness as an anime nerd, uh, I recently went and rewatched the entire series of Serial Experiments Lane, which is an anime that I have not seen in 15 years, and I would like to say that it holds up. Actually, I really enjoyed it. So if you want a very bizarre meditation on the internet and technology permeating our society, uh, check out Serial Experiments Lane. It's available on Blu-ray. It's 
really weird, only 13 half-hour episodes long, and it has stuck with me all these years, and for good reason. I'm Jeff Ellis. Um, you can find my work at jeffreyellis.ca, and I'm going to shout out uh, Wolf Birds by Willow Dawson. I just discovered this artist. Uh, she's a local illustrator who's done like kids' books and comics, and uh, I did not know anything about her work at all and then her dad fixed my oven <laughs> and uh, made made multiple reference to her in our conversations when he noticed that I was drawing a comic while he was doing his work uh, and yeah I ordered her book on Amazon and yeah it's cool to find out about new illustrators in BC um, my name is Kay Gross I make comics on the internet you can find them I'm very Googleable think I've been reading that much lately so I'm just gonna like recommend this book I'm one chapter into. Uh, I'm reading Eden's Outcasts which is a biography of Louisa May Alcott and her father Bronson Alcott and the Transcendentalist Movement in the 1800s in America. So if you want to hear about weird utopias. (laughs) (laughs) All right yeah okay Angela what's our next book gonna be? Our next book is going to be The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. Okay, looking forward to that. Uh, the Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. <laughs>